Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I am one of the hosts, Frank Gill, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but all the way from Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hello. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, my friend Delmar Pete. Howdy. And together again in sunny Safety Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson. Hey, it's not sunny, it's raining. Oh, and Timothy Miller. <laughs> Hello, world. Guys, this has been, um, first off, let me let me say this, because I've just been aware of this. I have not been doing a good job editing this show because I keep making <laughs> mistakes, apparently. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you found that there has been uh, intros that have been shortened. Claps. Uh, claps in the middle of the show as I'm readjusting <laughs> the sound. Uh, forgive me. Um, I am one man and only but a man, and I fail. So please show me grace. <laughs> but uh, but guys, this has been a wild week. Um, it's been a week. Just, to put it lightly. If, if we were the TMZ of pastors, we would have so much stuff to share. Should we but, be? Uh, I mean, that's a great business that, right? plan. I could take well, that as our shtick. It would, it would be much more financially viable than what we're currently doing. I mean... <laughs> so, <laughs> That's a fact. uh, uh, Just mix a little conspiracy theory in and we'll have a full on Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) I do think, I I mean, we're going to talk about something that, like, it's funny, before the show, we were talking about all the things that happened this week. And the thing we're actually going to talk about in one of our segments is probably the smallest thing on the whole radar of that whole conversation. But I do want to talk about something that was said over the weekend or over the week that I thought was pretty crazy. And I think we should talk about it. So our, our buddy Johnny Mack. Um, with a backpack full of ESVs in our backpacks or whatever. Uh, he um, that was a hip hop reference that I don't get. You don't know. You don't, you, you don't I know, know that's the, a, that's a, that's old school Lecrae Lecrae. lyric. I, old I get school it. Lecrae. Yeah. So, anyways, Johnny Mac said uh, basically, I don't want to misquote him because I want to respect people's words. Is that the like ultimately the only logical conclusion as a Christian we should vote for is is, is the Republican Party and, and, and virtually Trump. Um, and uh, I don't know how I feel about that, guys. <laughs> Did he say I, it that way? Because I, I purposely uh, let me kept see if myself I, Let me see dark. if I can pull up what he said. But you guys who have heard about it, what, what do you guys think? I mean, uh, he said it pretty strong. He was in an – it was on a CNN interview that I saw what he said, and they asked him a question about it. And, um, yeah, he basically said that nobody that – and I'm paraphrasing nobody that is like truly interested in following Christ and in caring about, you know, the, the welfare of kind of society as a whole could vote democratic because, and it's not like he didn't, I mean, he's not saying it off the cuff. He's thought it through. Um, and he, what did he lay out Four, four kind of realms of four restraints? Uh, yeah. Restraints that God gives, which is, what was it? The, the government and the church were one and were two of them. What were the other two? Do you remember? Government, the Holy Church, Spirit, uh, like community, and God. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I I disagree with his premises. Um, having said that, I've never voted Democratic in my life, so it's a pretty interesting place to find yourself in. Um, but yeah, I I just thought it was too strong. But that's not out of the realm of John MacArthur. He likes to come off a little strong. You he know? does. He, he, he is like that uh, rich Nicaraguan blend coffee with no creamer, you know, straight <laughs> off the bun, you know. But but you know what? It's got us talking. So thank you, Johnny Mac. You know, <laughs> my little he's disbe friend's got our back. No, but I, I do think like um, 
when, when I hear him saying stuff like this, I'm always take, let myself go to like, okay, where's the real conversation? Because I feel like sometimes he just goes like way over here. So we, so it gets us to the conversation. Have y'all been able to actually dialogue with any, even your congregants about it at all? Cause I know a lot of them, admittedly, most of mine in South Carolina don't watch CNN at all. Yeah. Mine <laughs> so, either. Yeah. I, I had a member of my congregation pull me aside uh, yesterday and passionate older gentleman with tears in my eyes pleading with me to urge our people to pray for our country because if we don't all vote for the Republican Party, we're doomed. I feel like it's this is an every four year thing. Um, the church I served at previously, we had like a Wednesday night adult education option during youth group and our kids club stuff. And it was so during the 2012 election, one of the associate pastors taught a not during the but like in the the fall he taught a six week course on the difference between Christianity and Mormonism and was just attacked by people in the church like of all the times to talk about Mormons you're doing it when Mitt Romney is our best chance at getting our country back on track oh. and it's wow. it the 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 truth is is that in the late seventies in a very very smoke filled room. A group of white men in suits sat around and said, how do we, as the Republican Party, get the evangelicals to buy in hook, line, and sinker? And they landed on abortion, which was yep. not a political issue at the time. It united and it was, the evangelicals and exactly, the Catholics. Yep. What you, exactly. What united the religious vote was abortion, and they thought, ha-ha, we got them. And – Guilty. You're like, yep. It, yeah, for real. It, it it worked. You know, we've a lot of us have tasted that Kool-Aid and we say, yeah, we're in. We, they, they got us. But there's a whole lot more going on than than one issue. OK, so Johnny well, Mac is not afraid to talk politics on CNN or in his sermons. Do you guys go there in your sermons when you're preaching? I typically I, I kind of stay out of the political realm uh, for the most I, part. I, I, just, I go there I almost like a. Go ahead. Go, go ahead, Dale. I go there almost like in a libertarian way, you know, because I'm very much in the Vody Balkum camp. How many times has the government tried to fix race relations? Like you can count them. They exist. And how many times have they successfully um, aided the cause? Like zero. And I think like I don't really have a whole lot of faith in government to begin with. So that's why I have a hard time even talking about it even with my congregants who send me like private messages and stuff. Cause I, just, <laughs> I don't have a faith in any of the parties. I think right. I was telling some of y'all in a group chat the other day, I put together a really solid RC Sproul playlist. And when my congregants send me stuff, I listen and I say, here, I want you to listen to this back. And it's a, I try to take the conversation to a different place. I do it as I a punchline in my sermons a lot. Like um, yesterday we were, Jesus was feeding the 5,000 know, year. They were going to come and make him King by force. And so I said something like, you know, so here we have this, this mob that is trying to get Jesus to align with them politically. And we'll save that talk for November just mm -hmm. kind of to, to, to get the laugh out of it. Um, a few years ago, we were talking about Nehemiah and I said something to the extent of you don't think that a lot of these Old Testament books have anything to say about living today. But Nehemiah is essentially a book about a first time politician that wants to make his nation great again by building a giant wall. And, um, and again, it got the, the laugh right out of exactly get the laugh out of the, some people and then the groan out of the other people, which was the goal. But I, I think our, 
earthly politics, especially our 21st century politics, are way too limited to apply something overarching to be like, this is exactly what God is talking about here. I don't think that is what a sermon is for. Yeah, I don't I don't tell people who to vote for or any of that. But my biggest I mean, I, I feel like I have been hammering on it pretty hard for a while now, kind of since uh, a little bit after the George Floyd, George Floyd murder happened. Um, we started a series on the kingdom of heaven, uh, so it's pretty hard to get around. But the thing I, I try to hammer on the most is that, uh, you know, as, as Christians, we uh, I like the phrase that we're politically homeless. We don't have we're not of this world. You know, um, and so we don't we shouldn't fight with the weapons of this world. We don't. But we're citizens who live here. So, you know, I'm telling folks, be the best citizen that you can be, be involved. You should vote. Uh, I do think that um, because of where we live in our particular setup of government, we have an obligation to be involved in the civil system because ours is set up as we the people. So we are the government that we submit to. Uh, and so you can't just I don't think you can just play that. Well, I'm not going to get involved. Uh, I think you have to be involved in order to be faithful because of the way our government is set up. We're not in the Roman Empire where, you know, we're, we're citizens who have a certain degree of power. So we should use that. Um, but, yeah, I, I just try to help people separate themselves, you know, into uh, those categories of empires of the world and kingdom of heaven. And, you know, which one is your allegiance really ultimately supposed to be at and i think in a lot of ways that the political climate conversation it's the golden calf of christianity right now it is i mean it's such it's so easy to put your identity into that that i'm like why would i want to put that on stage when it's all of our nature to worship that thing like why would I even that's like, yeah, I can put a, a revealing woman on the overhead at church and it may not be sin, but it be gonna take you to the edge of that place. Wow, that's just not stewarding it well. Sorry to mean to yeah. cut you off, Frank. You no, still use overheads? Turn <laughs> <laughs> to me. No, it's like Delmer still <laughs> uses a little transparency, you know what I'm saying? Uh, slide with, it over there. With, with that woman, can yeah, you yeah. like slowly slide the paper down to <laughs> Yeah. I think like um like, uh, I don't know. I'm such a fan of trying to point out people that there was an old Derek Webb song that talked about how um, we have a we have a king in the kingdom that's not of this world type of thing. And like Derek Webb is pretty controversial. Like, yeah, I mean, he's not a, he's not a Christian anymore. Yeah, is that that's true, right? He, like he walked yeah. away or something. Wow, yeah, good example, well, Frank. Yeah, great example. But uh, <laughs> that song in particular was pretty powerful. And I think yeah. like like in the sense that like. Like I'm always a big fan of like when when Paul this is gonna be kind of a roundabout way, but when Paul says to live as Christ, die as gain, I always remember that like our sufferings in this present world aren't worth comparing to like the future glory we have in Christ, right? So if that's the case, then like anything in this world isn't worth comparing to what we have in Christ in the future. And I think like what we do now matters. Obviously, like what we do with our salvation now matters and how we care for people matters. And like Jesus says that, like how we care for the needy and the poor matter today. But like, 
I think so much of like what we are investing in now won't matter in the scope of eternity. And we're losing sight of the fact that we, we, our citizenship is in heaven. We are all immigrants and sojourners waiting for our day to be with our Lord in eternity. And the fact that we are like dividing over issues that like literally possibly in four years won't matter who was the president in like, you know, in November. And I think to me that my only issue with MacArthur's statement, like, cause I, I'm looking at the context more and it's like he, he, he apparently Trump called him after a sermon one Sunday and he was just, and he was telling this newscast or whoever he was being interviewed by that basically he made this, this sentence, um, every real believer, he said like, you know, oh man, I just had it in front of me and I lost it. Yeah, basically, every real like, believer is behind you. I think he said. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if they're truly a follower of Christ, they're going to vote for you, which is like a hyper hyperbolic statement or whatever. But like, my thing is this is like, I don't like how that marginalizes people who are democratic or, or like, like for example, there are probably a lot of teachers like um, in the school system, public school system who vote Democrat, but have conservative values when it comes to pro-life and stuff like that. But historically Democrats have teachers feel like the Democrats support public school teachers more than Republicans. Right. And so it's like, I know tons of teachers who say I have to vote Democrat. Otherwise like my job is in jeopardy. And so People have like their own reasons to vote for whatever. And ultimately, I don't think there's a sin in whoever you vote for. Because right. ultimately, we just discussed that people vote for one issues all the time. Um, but like I think I think my problem is is marginalizing believers simply because they think differently than you. Well, and that's and my, my problem. When I heard him say that, it immediately came off to me. And I'm not saying that I'm assuming his motives or anything. I'm just saying the way I initially reacted uh, was he, he sounded a little – I mean – like almost that's almost fangirl stuff like it's almost like i'm oh i'm getting a little taste for the power and oh we're behind you you know like it just it just that's the way it came off to me um again i mean i've got his commentary sitting on my bookshelf i mean i think he's a great bible teacher i just disagree with him on this uh, in that extreme and i would say the other thing that I, I feel like i'm just constantly fighting against as a as a pastor is people are so discipled in this school of like everything is a zero-sum game right now. Right. Whether they're watching CNN or they're watching Fox News or OAN or whatever whatever other <laughs> news news source they're watching, it's like everything is any win for us is a loss for them and any loss or win for them is the opposite for us. And there's just no middle ground. And I mean, I mean we can have a longer conversation, but I, I do think the two-party primary system is a big part of why um, you know, because you're always going to be moving to the farther extremes of your party, uh, for that system to work. And so that we're just like reaping what we've sowed. Yeah. And Mr. MacArthur, if you're listening to this, I have the gospel according to Jesus. It's a great book. Your, your study Bible was one of my first study Bibles until I discovered the ESV study Bible. Um, <laughs> so like, if you want to come on this show, if grace to you wants to sponsor us, that's awesome. But, but, um, I think, uh, I just want to be able to say, Hey, if you're a democratic Christian, you know, you, you, we can hang out still. All right. Um, let's go into a clergy cliff notes. Um, uh, let's start with Delmar. Delmar, you have a I – don't, I don't know if it's going to be a fun light one or if it's going to be serious, but you have a good one. I want to hear what your clergy cliff note is. Okay. Premarital counseling. All right. Have, all, have you guys all done this? 
Yes. This, yes. this is one of the jewels in ministry, I think, oh, so many times. I, I, I absolutely love it. And um, the way ours is at church is I think I've got it down in like five sessions and one deals with like the heart and then one deals with like your mind and then your family and then your soul. And then at the end, we kind of put it all together. Anyways, I'm telling you all that to say um, I was getting into session two this past week with a couple because I got a couple of marriage counseling things going on. And uh, session two begins off where session one kind of ends where it's like the reason you come to me and not the court is because I, I care. That's the difference. When you have a pastor doing your wedding, like I care at the courthouse, they don't care. And I, and I talk about how honesty is so important. So session two starts off heavy. Okay. Now it goes light because we get into the vows and the vows is probably my favorite thing to talk about. But session two starts off like this. Hey, remember we're building a relationship of trust between you and us. And then when they say yes, I look at them and I say, okay, so are you having sex? I just cold turkey, like cold turkey. There's no really easy way to walk into that. And then if they are, I actually have, I walk into that. There's a, there's some things I say, and then we'll eventually, even they sign a covenant um, to abstain, you know, and we, we kind of walk through that together. So here I am, I'm a little nervous because I'm about to get up in their business, you know, and I rolled out the whole spiel and I'm like, okay. The next line is, so are you having sex? So I say, you know, it's about trust. And then they go, well, actually, pastor, we need to tell you something. And I'm like, oh, they're just going to go ahead and confess. Oh, thank you, God. They're going to go ahead and confess it. So I don't have to go there. Right. And she looks at me. She goes, yeah, um, we're already married. <laughs> <laughs> they went off and got married without. <laughs> Between the first and second session. <laughs> just no, eloped. They- they thought they, okay, they thought that I knew, right? They're like, yeah, we thought you were kind of in, so maybe you had known already. We know we didn't tell you, but we figured we couldn't start this session off without telling you that that we're already married. So, like, beside the question on my seat says, are you having sex? I was like, yup. <laughs> and, and now, like, so so we're going to be doing a wedding, and I'm like, the people don't know. And I'm like, so how do we – so now I'm walking through how do we do that and and be ethical, you know, because this is a big day. And, and uh, I, I just think, like, what I'm learning is every time I do marriage counseling, even though I have – kind of like a guideline. And I think I have some useful tools. It's so unique and it's so specific toward each couple. And and like on the low hanging fruit, I, I would just wanted to ask you guys, like, how do y'all step into marriage counseling? Like, is there, um like before you even start the series, do y'all have any things in place that kind of guide you for this massive day in people's lives? And then when, and when, and when uh, a ball comes out of left field, like how do y'all, how do y'all feel that? I know um, Doug Fields has a book. Uh, what's the name of it, Tim? Do you remember? Or does anybody getting, know the name of it? Getting Ready for Marriage. Getting Ready for Marriage. Yeah, it getting also has a work has a workbook for couples. So I, I that's the curriculum that I use. They they purchase that. They start that and get ready for session. And one. then there's a follow up that Delmar should use with his couples called the first few years of marriage. Yep. That uh, <laughs> for when you're already married and Surprise. you want to, there you so, go. I yeah. should have yeah, put that in my notes. Yeah. So I, I've been using that as somewhat of an outline, but even before that, I I try to sit tell the couple, like, hey, if we're if you're gonna if we're gonna do this, like we're gonna get I'm going to ask hard questions and it might get uncomfortable because it, I, like I'm gonna be so forthright that no one's probably ever asked you questions like this before. And then I'm also gonna challenge you to think things that maybe are difficult. 
Um, especially if it's premarital counseling, like I'm going to say, I also sometimes tell them, I might ask you questions that may feel like me telling you that you shouldn't get married, or I'm trying to poke and prod to like cause you to reconsider this, but that's not what I'm trying to do. It's simply for the sake of making sure we are talking about everything you can think about before you get married. And I think like, if that conversation is wide open and like those gates are open, then like, I have no problem saying like, Hey, like what boundaries are you setting up right now in your dating and engagement relationship? What are you doing right now? Um, to set up a success for your marriage. Like, let's talk about pornography and let's talk about like the stuff that no one is really comfortable talking about in the social settings. Because if I don't, and I'm the one overseeing the the officiating the covenant of your marriage, then like, I don't, then no one else will. Right. So I, I, I mean, I'm sure you guys have other things, but the biggest do I think you should do is like, just set the precedence that like, I'm going to ask very uncomfortable questions that like don't sound romantic that are going to be maybe kind of pragmatic. Like, Hey, have you really talked about how many kids you want? Because if you don't have this conversation now, it's going to be really awkward and maybe even cause bitterness down the line because one person wants two kids. The other person wants five kids. And what if you can't have any kids? Like these are conversations that you need to have now because otherwise it's going to get worse <laughs> after you get married. So I think saying that person early is probably to me the most important thing I think of when I'm doing it. Otherwise, those books are great because they ask great questions too. I let the tough questions be asked by the books because I it's just easier to have the book ask the hard questions than have yeah. me be the one making things awkward. But the the first thing that I do when I meet with a couple is I say, I, I'm thrilled to meet with you, but there's something you need to understand is that I'm not a licensed counselor. I've got a good two, three, four premarital counseling sessions in me. But if there's an issue that needs actual counseling, I'm not your guy. I've got a list. Here's who you want to talk to about that. And if you want me to marry you and so you want me to do the premarital counseling because I'm the one marrying you, my feelings won't be hurt if you go with somebody else. Like you want, I'm your pastor. You want me to do your wedding. That's fine if you go to somebody else for premarital counseling um, because going to an actual trained counselor instead of, hey, this guy has been married for a bunch of years and has some kids. He might have some wisdom is not always – the best route in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's good. Don't pretend to be a, a licensed counselor if you are Do not, not in, in fact, any situation a licensed bastards. counselor. <laughs> Know right. where your boundary is. Yeah. Like if they do need to go, you need to be able to know recommend. I keep cards on hand, people that's I could recommend. Yep. Um mm-hmm. and and at the same time, like when you really get into it, I think a lot of what I do as a pastor is yeah, I know some wisdom. I've learned, you know, just being married myself and but ultimately, I, I want to show them this is what happens to your marriage when the gospel interacts with it. Mm-hmm, right. You know, like this, this is how it really should. I know for me, I think every pastor's got their own unique, unique things. And one of the unique things I do is I use um, some first century vows um, with mine. And I tell them, I was like, if you're buying your house, do you want to write up your own contract or do you want a contract that like 20 lawyers have used before and like, you know, that you're not going to get like messed over in the deal, you know? So a lot of times at that point, they're like, yeah, we'll love to check those vows out. And basically we spend a whole session going through those and uh, talking about like, this is what it means to be in a covenant relationship with you. And, and I'm not, it's hairy. Cause like one time we were going through it and I found out in these vows that the guy wasn't a believer. You know, like he was kind of rolling along with it. But when we found out and then I'm sitting here and I'm like, you, you know, when you're in the middle of it, this is a tense situation. I'm like, God, help me. I don't even know what to say. I don't want to like make these people angry, but I, at the same time, I want to be loving, 
you know? And I just told him, um, I, I went through her vows first. And I said, how much of this are you on board with? She's like a hundred percent. I'm like, that's awesome. And then when I went through his, he was like, I'm like 80% there. And I was like, so here's the conversation you have to have. And we kind of had to end the session because they needed to go talk. I was like, you have to realize that when he's in front of you, in front of all your loved ones, he only means 80% of what's coming out of his mouth. Like, and before you marry him, you have to be okay with him not fully meaning every word. And like, to me, that goes back to what Frank was saying. Like, that sucked to say, <laughs> you know, like, like, like no one, I did not want to leave the session that way, but I feel the weight of that. I mean, do y'all ever, how do y'all deal with like the weight? Ultimately it's them, it's their decision. And here's kind of what my pastors who mentor me have said, listen, if you just shut it down right there and say, I will not do your wedding, guess what? They're, they then are going to go to the courthouse or somewhere else. And then you lose the ability to follow up with them and to love them well. So if y'all had to make any tough calls like that, I've broken a couple up. That was exciting. Ooh, and, how'd you do they, that? Uh, the the uh, Doug Fields and Jim Burns book, the Getting Ready for Marriage. I gave it to a couple, and uh, she read it and was waiting for him to read it so they could then discuss it together. And after three weeks, he hadn't read it yet, and she said there were so many red flags that I highlighted in the book. And then the wow. fact that he wouldn't read the book, I just knew that this wouldn't be done. Wow! So she's she's she uh, she's still an active part of our church wow. and is dating somebody else. He's married to somebody else with a kid. And, uh, I haven't been at this church for that long. <laughs> and so, so if you're, you're a, you if you're a kidding hockey about... fan, that's like taking a minus on the ice. That's like, yes. a, that's a minus one. Yeah. But at the same, going back to what you're saying about going to the courthouse, the, the first senior pastor that I ever worked for told me one time, he said, Andrew, you're not going to lead anybody to Christ by telling them that they're not good enough for you to marry. And so, just about anybody that comes to me um, f- that says, you know, hey, we want you to marry us. And if, you know, if you meet this, 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 and this, I, I'm going to marry you. So I've ha- I've done some weird weddings. I did a wedding on a Ferris wheel once. I did a That's wedding awesome. where the uh, bride <laughs> walked down um, a runner of bubble wrap because she wanted to feel happy. And what makes you happier than stepping on bubble wrap? Just weird, weird stuff under the idea of this is, a discipleship and a disciple making opportunity. And there are so that's the like, most like millennial thing I've yeah, ever heard of. I need to feel happy uh, while I'm going to also, marry somebody. She, so also, she also had everyone handed a kazoo when they walked in so that they could play. Here comes the bride on the kazoo. Okay. It was a weird oh. wedding, but okay. <laughs> wow. but the idea is that uh, I've completely lost it at this point. But in Florida, especially a notary, a notary public can marry somebody in yeah. Florida. We're one of the few states where oh, that wow. can happen. So if you can't get married at the church and you don't want to go to the courthouse, you can go to the post office in Florida and get married. Yep. So by me accepting someone's invitation to speak into their relationship and into their marriage, um, I get to present the gospel. And that means that there are going to be people that are at on different wavelengths at time, but telling someone that, that they're not good enough for you to marry them or telling them they're not ready, but they perceive it as you saying, you're not good enough for us to marry you. All that does is that means they're going to go to anybody else because in Florida, it takes a monkey to marry somebody. I mean, anybody can do it. So I take it as a huge privilege and responsibility, but I also know that that privilege and that responsibility mm-hmm. is on me, That's a good way of not necessarily it. on them. 
I'll hop in uh, as well. And um, so it's a, it's a little different in Maryland. You do have to be, I'm pretty sure you have to be clergy. Uh, so it's, it's slightly different, but um, I basically, so for someone to have their wedding in our building, I have to do premarital counseling with you and do the wedding. Um, and for me, I will marry two believers. I will marry two unbelievers. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I will at least have multiple conversations with some, a couple who's one and it's an unbeliever and one's a believer. Um, but that helps to hopefully avoid what you described, Dell, where you're like already mm-hmm. into the process and then you discover somebody's not a believer. So those are the hard questions I ask in the first setting. I go straight to the spiritual stuff first. Uh, and ask us questions about, are you both, you know, what explain the gospel to me and th- that kind of stuff. Um, and so uh, when I was the first couple couples that I uh, helped with premarital, I used Timothy Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage. Um, and it has, uh, I think there's some study guides and stuff. When I first used it, I just read the book with the couple and came up with questions to talk about. Uh, but now I use uh, Symbus, which is Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. Uh, it's an assessment tool that you can get registered with. You have to go through a little training online. Um, it's put out by uh, um, Les and Leslie Parrott. Uh, so pretty good, pretty big names in the counseling world. Um, and uh, it's a really great tool. I would definitely recommend it. It costs a little bit of money, but I think it's totally worth it. Uh, it also puts you in a, a database where people, if they're looking for it, uh, can find your name you know, if you're like in their area and you can do that. So what it does is it, uh, you have a a meeting with them, you kind of explain it. And then they each take separately, they take an assessment that goes through all of those, all of those questions that we've talked about. And it spits out a report to me. Um, it's very similar to prepare and rich in that regard. Uh, so I get a report and then basically I just go through that report over the course of, you know, however long it is until the, the wedding day. Um, and so, um, you ask all those kind of questions. I mean, it gets into the nitty gritty of like, who's going to take the trash out, who's going to do the dishes and, you know, uh, all the way to the big things, like who's going to earn the money and who's going to do the housework and, you know, all the things that you guys that, you know, we're all married and we know those are what start arguments. Um, I do try to emphasize really hard. Uh, this is a covenant, not a contract. And I really try to, uh, in my first couple of meetings with them, talk about the difference of that. And then, uh, yeah, we do the the Symbis thing, Save Your Mirrors Before It Starts. It's just Symbis.com, S-Y-M-B-I-S.com. You can go there and find that info. How about this, uh, guys? Found it super helpful. This is what I would love. Can you guys each email me what you use? And then I will put it with what I have, and I can make that as a free resource yeah, sure. for literally everyone in our Facebook group. Sure. So yeah. is now the time to tell you that I use a free Enneagram test to be like, hey, people. Just know your basic personality. It's good to know. Yeah. yeah. It's I use know. an animal personality test. Have you heard of lion, <laughs> otter, beaver, golden retriever? I don't know we if there's do a that one coming or not. No, there's no I am on. so <laughs> excited right now that you said all that. We should take that on here. That would like, be hilarious. Amazing. I'll send it to you guys. And uh, Dibs, honestly, I'll, I'll on the golden this. retriever. Yes, I will put that test in our free resources. And here's a cool thing. If you're a pastor listening, this is a great test to use with your own deacon board, with your um, elders, with your staff. It's a five-minute way to feel 
feel out how each other act by default. It's very cool. Yes. Um, so I SD, use that. SDI is another good tool like that. I would say mm-hmm. one funny anecdote about premarital counseling and cultural awareness. I uh, I have done two weddings for Burmese couples who are uh, part of the uh, the community here, uh, and I found out at the wedding ceremony of the first that they do not like to show affection in public. So when I said you may kiss the bride, it was unbelievably awkward. Because so what they were you supposed not, to do? They they don't do that in their weddings. So you stare at each other intimately. Well, you don't say you may kiss the bride. You just oh. announce that they're married. So then, I'm just oh, saying, cool. if you're a pastor in a diverse place, you know place, and you end up with a couple who's from a different culture, be sensitive to it because you know a good word. it puts you and them in a really awkward spot. Otherwise, I've got an awkward spot for you. Oh. I I did a wedding maybe a year ago. And after the wedding, I said to the couple, Hey, do you have your marriage license um, for me to sign? And they said, Oh uh, no, we didn't actually get a marriage license. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was just like for our friends and family, because uh, we wanted to be married in God's eyes, not the government's. Oh. What that translated to was she still had a hefty alimony yep. check that she was receiving. Oh. And the so this is not the problem. So the whole thing of, <laughs> Telling someone that they're not good enough for you to marry, it does have its backfires sometimes. What and did you then do, I, man? What What could I do? It was like they, done. They, they was done. They didn't have like is wow. nowhere in any wedding I've ever done. Do I call them three days before? Like, hey, just calling to make sure you applied for your marriage that's, license. That's because fair. Yeah. did you, you know, go back up on the platform and yell, "I declare this marriage rescinded"? I'm going to put that in here in our notes um, <laughs> for the pastors. Ask them, make sure they're getting first, a marriage license. Make sure it meeting. will be legal in whatever. But see, I did another wedding where the couple he was from India and she was from the states, and so they had their legal wedding in India. But they were doing like a Florida wedding for the Florida family that couldn't go to India. It's kind of like the Jonas Brother wedding thing where they had eight of them. But I but so this was a wedding where like, oh, there's no marriage license because they're already they got married in another country. But this was completely different. This was no, no, no. We we want all the perks of being married, but we still want the ex-husband to pay for everything. Wow. <laughs> so don't I do, do that. There's an interesting long conversation at some point about how we have mixed government with oh absolutely you know like in in marriage it really comes out we say that this is an institution that god created and yet we all only view people as married when the state says they're married right separation of church and state except for on the wedding day or when the state needs a place to vote other than that separation of church and state and really (laughs) the only reason states care about marriage is because it creates citizens that you can tax right yep real talk uh, guys, this has been great. All these resources will be in the show notes as well as Delmar is probably going to put them in the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Does that sound yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm also going to throw in there um, one thing when I started doing my own um, – when I started officiating weddings is I wanted a template of like the, the service because sometimes a lot of weddings, they might have a wedding planner. But sometimes they're like, we just want to get married. How can you help us? And so – by de facto, the pastor becomes the wedding planner in some in some fashion, at least the service part. And so I have like an outline that I use. And I actually have words that like I don't care if people, you know, steal from me. Hey, that book I recommended a few weeks back, the pastor's book or any pastor's manual yeah. should have those in there as well. Love it. Let's uh, transition to uh, another one that might be a bit more niche uh, for most of us because we um, – 
we we all come from a youth ministry background. But if you're not from the youth ministry world and you have no idea what's happening here, this is perhaps, still good. Perhaps we can also give you some context of who the players are in this conversation, and and but I think there's some practical conversation here for pastors. But Timothy, what do you have for us as your clergy cliff note? Yeah, I thought it'd be a fun topic for us to chat about, and and it this could be a little niche. Uh, a lot of us are indeed from the the youth ministry world, or we've come out of the youth ministry world. So, um, you've got Sunday Cool Tees. Many of you have heard of them. Um, they've given us super comfy and super soft T shirts. Quality, just High. about the best T shirts in the history of the church t-shirt realm it is tough to find a better t-shirt so they had a big announcement a couple of weeks ago you might have seen some of their marketing they're they're very clever with their marketing uh in that marketing was uh we're putting out a new devo and i actually have the devo right here oh it is the it. word according to gen z it's a little tongue-in-cheek it's meant to be funny the idea is hey we're gonna we're gonna paraphrase a a bible verse in quote unquote Gen Z lingo, knowing that no 15 year old talks like this, this book was written to 24 year old youth pastors for a laugh. Like that's, that's the idea. And then on the other side, you'll see an ESV translation of the same verse. And then uh, a couple of, a couple of sentences, maybe two or three paragraphs on uh, a little bit about the, the passage. Then you'll get three questions and then a focus on the other page. So it's short. It's sweet. Pretty standard it's, Devo format, right? Pretty standard Devo format. Um, With the one exception being <laughs> the ridiculous lingo. Other so, than the Eugene Peterson paraphrase but I for think a new that, I don't. Th I don't think Here, that's abnormal for students, though. Like, I think for students, not. especially like, um, I mean, there are like more classic devotionals for students, but like having some sort of like funny, quirky thing yeah, yeah, yeah. is totally very, the very normal. Have the, the paint splash NIV study Bible, the yeah, teen dude. NIV study oh, yeah. Bible from the 90s. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Remember it well. So, for instance, here's a here's a paraphrase of John 1.1 from day one of the Gen Z Devo. Since day uno, there was Cap G. Big J was chilling with Cap G, and Big J was Cap G. Of course, you know the ESV translation in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. So, that... Uh, Gives you a little taste of what this this little nugget is all about. Uh, not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. It's funny. It's short. It's easy. You could hand this to a student. They'd probably get a laugh. Maybe they'd glean a little bit from it. Uh, maybe not. But it it sparked a fire. It's heresy is what it is. It sparked a <laughs> Absolute fire. Absolute heresy. In the world. I mean, really, Tyndale I saw it. 2.0. I saw it on Twitter. I, was it Was it Matt Walsh? Was yeah. that who was just absolutely yes, Walsh? I spent, listen, I spent the weekend tearing sackcloth and spreading ashes. <laughs> Matt Walsh was so angry over this, and there was quite a few people who were so upset that the publishers, which was Lifeway, you probably have heard of them. They're a major publishing company, major Christian stores. publishing company. Used to have stores. <laughs> uh, they put out an official statement. Uh, Del, could you could you read us that official statement? Once all this backlash came, here was the official statement from Yes, Lifeway. I'll read it in my most concerned Lifeway employee way. I appreciate Lifeway that. students' greatest desires to serve the next generation. More Southern, please. More Southern. More Southern. Here we go. Lifeway students' greatest desires to see the next generation <laughs> by introducing them to a lifelong devotion of God's word. 
Recently, in partnership with Sunday Cool, the creators of popular YouTube series called Cool Carl, our team released a 30-day devotional journey called A Word According to Gen Z. The product features a key biblical text using the ESV, a short lesson from the scriptures, an application section, and a, play, and a playful, over-the-top summary of a verse written in the parody of the Gen Zingo lingo. There was no intention at any point during the translation of the Bible for Gen Z. If you've been in student ministry, you know that sometimes that um, some of the activities you plan don't always bring about the effort that you hope for. And that's what happened in this case. Some people, when they saw this product, <clears throat> Matt Walsh, assumed that Lifeway decided to translate the Bible in an irreverent manner in order to, t- to reach Gen Z. This was not the case. Still, in order to ensure there is no confusion about our reverence for a commitment to the authority and the seriousness of the scriptures, we have decided to no longer publish this product. We take responsibility for the offense and we apologize. I can picture myself in a Lifeway story. Now I'm there. I see the <laughs> candle section. I see, you see the Christ, you see the CDs see, back where you can put the headphones on and yes, listen to the, the tracks first. I see the yep. little VeggieTale dolls in the back. Mm-hmm. It's all the sacred back. art that you know will be on sale very soon. Mm-hmm. Yes. So cancel culture alive and well. The book gets canceled. Uh, Sunday cool goes silent for a few hours, maybe about a day, a day and a half. Many of us are wondering: Is Sunday cool going to say anything? Like what's happening here? And then they put out their response which first was a written response, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that written response was followed by a video. In their which, style, to be fair. So if you don't know... Sun- in their style. If you don't know Sunday Cool, their marketing relies heavily on satire, comedy, poking fun at a lot of different groups. And their video response to canceling their Devo was very... Um, in my opinion, it was really funny. Like I, I, I watched it and laughed a ton. I know some people did not think it was so funny because it might have pigeonholed a few KJVers or Boomers or Karens. I think they were all featured in that response video. So then you've got this <laughs> this war that between this tiny T-shirt company. They're not a tiny T-shirt company. No, they're just they're, not tiny. Okay. they're, they're not the tiny. number ninety-eight fastest growing company the in city they're from is yes tiny. they're from mount dora they're from which a is the tiny city in florida office, but they they are an industry leader in what they're yes. doing they're, they're they're not a tiny company and also they are great at what they do how many employees do they have because that, that usually constitutes I, I tiny would, companies i would too. guess 40 or 50 at okay, least. okay that would be classified as a small company it's a small business for sure it is definitely a small business whether or not they're an industry leader doesn't matter they're a small business compared to lifeway come on like it's not really How, all that do you think close. lifeway has 50 full-time employees these days i i don't know what they have. <laughs> yes they do yes. They have way i would more. think i would all think right. they would all right Here, here's 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 what i think like i what's they are an amazing like screen printing business like they they're not yep. only they don't not only produce great products like like the practically pastoring shirts are Sunday cool shirts. They're great shirts. Super. They 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 source their material from a great company, and they have like understood the technology of printing in such a way that is just wonderful, right? Um, with that being said, uh, they entered into a. Well, with that being said, also they are they're the only screen printing company I know that actually markets their company in a way that sets them apart from everyone else. They, they tapped into the youth ministry pastor, the youth pastor kind of world. And they they captured it with humor, and they've actually created funny videos for youth ministries, which is something that like 
if you do that for youth ministry, a youth pastor will love you forever because it's so yep. hard to find good videos on you for youth ministry. Even beyond that, like they they are they are like an industry leader in, in t-shirt company when t-shirt printing. When it comes to like for the churches, it's great, but they entered into a world that I don't know if they were prepared for. The right. curriculum mm-hmm. world is cutthroat, and like the little bit that us in here have been involved in could attest to that where it's like it's it's highly competitive and and even though everyone's a believer right it feels kind of gross sometimes and i think like what we (laughs) noticed here what we noticed here is 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 they were i i i'm the kind of person that gives everyone the benefit of the doubt like even like with the matt walsh people it's like i'm i'm assuming that their concern is we are per- they're perverting scripture and they are it's going to be like um a rob bell 2.0 again where it's like right, we've right, watered right. down stuff we're trying to be too relevant all this whatever um that's giving people the benefit of the doubt so i'm going to say the benefit of the doubt is and and, and knowing some of the guys were something cool they legitimately are like hey we are more than a t-shirt company we want to actually make an impact for people for god so let's like make a devotional for kids and i think they genuinely were trying to do that and they know the humor of gen z would be the, the the bridge to get them there. What what I think is what the thing that bums me out is the people who have been the most critical about the Gen Z book um, that ultimately caused them to shut it down or, are people who have know nothing about youth ministry. I mean Matt Walsh. Well, I guess Matt Walsh. I'm thinking of Ben Shapiro is like Jewish. Matt Walsh is like he, he claims to be an evangelical Christian, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like I so I, they, yeah they're. They're possibly but, all in the faith, but they. But he's they, not known for his sense of humor, right? <laughs> very valid, very. Valid. And I'll even say that one more thing is like I've actually had people who are in the youth ministry world and other pastors who are like, I love something cool, but the Gen Z stuff actually is cringy, and that's fair. And I think they sure. would even say they're going over the top of the language translation. Um, but also, you got to know your demographics. They're not trying to get kids in Los Angeles to read their book. They're getting middle of America, like you know, kids who like watch stuff on TV and think this is crazy. And then when they get this book, they're like, this is even more crazy, but it's no, like, what it's they're getting is youth pastors, Frank, they're getting yeah, youth they're, pastors to buy this book. And then maybe the youth pastor will give it to a student. Every like, 15 year old that, that I know, which is like four. Um, but I've run that by, there was, there's a girl in our youth group who plays in our praise band. And I was kind of explaining the situation to her. And so this is actually this one that Tim's holding is is my youth pastors. He bought this because he's 24 and thinks it's funny. Um, but I was that's like target. like running exactly. it by her, and she's like, "That's ridiculous." I'm like, "Exactly." Like the 15 year olds are not the target of this. Right. The f- couple years out of Bible college youth pastors are the target of that book. But because it was canceled, because Lifeway has shut it down. It sold out the first printing in record time yep. because of the controversy. Exactly. The whole thing is what Sunday Cool does, which is brilliant marketing. The best thing for that devotional that could have ever happened was that Lifeway published the first run. Lifeway put up the money for the first printing run so they know, knew how successful it was going to be. And then just said, OK, well, we can't print any more of these. Sorry, guys. It's all on you now. You have it formatted. You have the size. All you have to do is take our Lifeway logo off of it, and then it's all yours. Sunday Cool comes out on top of this. Oh, for sure. Unintentionally. I don't think, obviously. Unintentionally, no. no. That was, no, that was not their plan. Yeah. And oh, in the, the long run, it would have been great to have a partnership with Lifeway for them. You know? yeah, I think but, they wanted that. Yeah. 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 But the, I think what happened is the Lifeway students, which, again, for those of us coming out of student ministry world, we've been watching, and Lifeway students has made great strides in the past few years. Sure. 
So somebody at Lifeway Students gave them the green light, but then the grownups got involved and said, whoa, 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 what, you know, wh- what's going on here? So the issue is, is a Lifeway issue. If Lifeway didn't like it, they should have never published it. But someone gave someone in the student's office autonomy to go ahead and make publishing decisions. And then once outrage happened, then Lifeway said, listen, we're Lifeway. Like we are owned by the Southern Baptist Church. Right. If you're surprised that we're conservative. You're not paying attention. <laughs> like, like, who did you think you were dealing with? Yeah, two things. I don't, I don't want to lose the irony that Matt Walsh, who gets on every single liberal about creating cancel culture, exactly, just right. actually went and went out of his way to get this thing canceled. To me, I'm like, okay, that's some that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, but it's funny where where I was feeling a lot of the tension, and I think this is where we can bring this home to the pastor behind the pulpit. Is okay. Um, they received criticism. Lifeway did. And regardless of whether we think they handled it well or not, that criticism got pushed down to Sunday cool. And there is now a little bit of the controversy is sitting with Sunday cool's response to Lifeway, their response to Matt Walsh and any uh, boomer or Karen, as they would put it, who who doesn't like their product. And it can come across a little tongue in cheek. And I think for us, we get it. Um, if any of you are listening, you're a student pastor, you know, basically, <laughs> it's like you versus the system the entire time, right? So like that same culture does exist in this t-shirt company. And for some people, it seemed like the, the, the we got canceled video was not very tactful in its, um, hey, we're going to move on speech. Is that a fair way to put it? Their, their response did not make me believe that they were capable of discipling teenagers. Like their response, like, like my response to their response was, your maturity is showing. It was, hey, let's, caric- let's, let's make a caricature of everyone that disagrees with us and surely there cannot be any collective wisdom that would disagree with us because we're right and everyone that disagrees with us can't be right. So let's celebrate the fact that we're different and these people don't like us and them not liking us is what makes us awesome. So can we uh, not make fun of ourselves and have a little fun? But they they weren't making fun of themselves. They were making fun of the people that disagreed with them. You can always make fun of yourself. You can always be the butt of your own joke. But when someone sincerely, and you know, again, the people that, cancel i think the canceling was ridiculous right i think lifeway going out of their you know the the weight of this should be on lifeway lifeway done messed up AA Ron. lifeway was the one that was at fault but yep. then they come out here and they make this you know kind of and again it's comedy but the same people that did not get your joke are not going to get your response and so it comes across as we're attacking people that don't agree with us and my my initial take was this is like that youth pastor that preaches one decent sermon and has then decided, hey, I'm ready to be a senior pastor now. I've preached this good sermon. People liked my sermon. And then the first time that somebody in the church disagrees with them or they have some kind of an issue with a, with an older person in the church, then they say, no, 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 no. My, my goal is not to be a senior pastor anymore. Now my goal is to be a church planter. I don't want to oh – I don't, I, I don't want to deal with you know the 75 and 80-year-olds in the church. I just want to start a church – for people my age and, you know, to reach out to my demographic. I, I, wow. I'm sorry. I'm to, done with my make, And make, for the record, I love Sunday Cool. They are the best <laughs> yeah. in the world at what they do. I, I, to, so 
one point of pushback earlier was I don't know if Matt Walsh is like the primary cancel focus on this. I think he's just the biggest name of the people That's fair. who complain. That's you know fair. There was actually, I think a woman, some woman somewhere started the conversation. And I think Matt Walsh was just one of the other people who got in the conversation. Um, and he's the biggest name. The second thing is this, like, because um, I know offline we had this group text. And at first I was like, no, I disagree with all y'all. Sunday Cool did nothing wrong. And like, and then I started <laughs> processing it. I started thinking, I, I get what you're saying. I do think though that the, like, if they were going to make a video about this, their their whole gimmick, I think, is like satirizing the culture we live in and and like this this is like the most real life scenario of the love thy karens and love thy boomers that they've been saying for like a long time now um but to your credit i do understand that like um their response matters right and like and like how you respond dictates a lot more and so i will say this like and like this sounds like super secret information i do know that they are like actually processing right now in the republish should they change certain things to not offend as much the people who were offended by this right like like the i think the biggest offense that people were calling blasphemous was calling god cap g and calling jesus big j and so they're like i think there's conversations on like should we change that to 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 not be as whatever offensive apparently and i think they're processing all that kind of stuff and that's and i think that's a that is a mature thing to look at is like okay maybe we did swing too far one way and whatever um but i think you bring up i think andrew you bring up a good point that i think is the bridge to our conversation right now is like what is the bridge of when we like like how do we respond in a way when it is unfair like how do we respond in a way when um things happen and it's like no, this is wrong. Like I just shared an idea of like in my in my other show where it's like I was in a situation where um I wanted to bring a Christian hip hop artist in, a group called Beautiful Eulogy, three white guys from Portland, and then Jefferson Bethke, which he used to be popular, and I wanted to bring both of them in to speak at a youth event, and it got shut down from the senior pastor, and the senior pastor's response was we don't want to bring that culture into our church. Now wow. let the subtext of that marinate for a second. And so then we I, just did the tour at my church. <laughs> Remember that, that in Orlando? Yeah. yeah, that was in Florida. I'm talking about this was in Arkansas when I did this. Um, so, so with that being said, like there was something that was like, like I knew I wasn't wrong in this. Like what he said was like subtly racist and like offensive and 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 like just like it shows he doesn't care about the next generation especially the next generation who is urban or a minority or whatever. Right. And so my problem with that was like, how do I respond to that? And so my first response was I could be petty because in the same vein, he kept saying, I need to take out all the hip hop music out of the pre-service playlist in the youth ministry. It's like, I could have been petty. I could have been angry, but I chose, like, I wanted to do something that was like actually Christ-like. And so I guess my question to you guys is not, reframe the conversation for Sunday cool but like when you are a associate pastor a youth pastor a, a a the not the main person or maybe you're the senior pastor and you have a board of elders who are telling you to do something that isn't what you feel is right what is the how what should be our process in the gracious way we should respond to them even if we do feel like we didn't do anything wrong god placed me under this authority if god did not want me under this authority he would not have placed me under this authority therefore until God calls me away from this authority, I'm going to respond as though the authority that he has placed over me 
has the authority to make this call. I think that's fair. I think just a little pushback. No, I do think we're called to lead up, you know, because I do think that like sometimes God has given us a vision, you know, so like, but to your credit, yes, we are submit to that authority. But how do we do that in a way? Um, I know for me, I'll just be super honest with you. I'm I'm completely self unaware at times because I'm a I'm like way out here, like in what I'm thinking sometimes I'm not even realizing how I'm actually feeling. Oftentimes the best step for me um, is to identify the actual emotion that I have, because if not, I tend to like let that thing dictate the rest of me. So like the other day something happened and um, I had an emotion of disgust and I, and I actually stopped because I'm trying to get better at this. I don't always, but I stopped like, why do I have that emotion? And then it was like, well, if, if I'm going to be honest, I'm disgusted because I I don't want this person to succeed. Well, why don't I want this person to succeed? Because if this person succeeds, it's going to mess with my legacy and what I thought. Okay, so where's your identity, Delmar? Oh, crap. I thought I was supposed to be mad right here. And really, it's my insecurity because I don't want my legacy, whatever air quote that means, you know. Um, so I think for me, that shuts down literally 80% of the pettiness in my life is when I trace my emotion, not even back to the other person and how they made me feel. But like, why did that get allowed to make me feel that way? You know? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, to take it back to the original conversation, I pretty much uh, in a in a very similar place as what Andrew described. Um, I think Lifeway completely dropped the ball. It seems like on like focus groups and, you know, I mean, they sh- it seems like they should have done more focus groups and included the quote unquote Karens and boomers in that. And you would have known about this a long time before you printed it. And you could have then said, hey, let's change a few things. And and nobody would have known about this. Um, so I think they they bumbled it on that. Cancel culture is cancel culture, which is stupid. Um, <laughs> so that part of it stinks, too. But then it, it's not like you're off the hook for your response when you're wronged. You know, if if you've been wronged, and I do think Sunday Cool was kind of wronged in this. I mean, that, that definitely was like the, the carpet got pulled out from under him. But at the same time, you're not just off the hook because you were, quote unquote, sinned against. I don't know if you want to say that far, but, you know, you're not off the hook for your response. I, I had, I mean, I, I do think the Karen and the boomer thing is kind of cringy um, because I don't think that it, you know, my church is full of those people because you pastor actual adults. Right. right. And so I find it cringy and I find that it it's divisive. Um, and I found, I thought that their response video was what you said, Andrew. I, I was kind of disappointed in the, um, in the, in the lack of having a view for, um, you know, those people who were frustrated with you. Um, and I do think, you know, they're, they're not a church. They're a for-profit company. But at the same time, if you look at their about section, they say, we want to serve those who serve. And it's all about serving the church. And when you say that kind of thing, you do bring upon yourself some of those, I think, some of the, if you, if you say our goal is to serve the church, I think you can't then do things that, are going to be divisive to the church and are going to, you know, perpetuate the youth pastor versus everybody um, thing, which is not healthy. I mean, if you're a student pastor listening to this, it's not you against everybody else in the church. Um, I know it feels like that because I've been in that situation. I've, I know it feels like that, but 
I would say you have to own as much of that as you can own in your, you know, based on your own maturity level. Uh, and how do you deal with other people's decisions that are above you? I mean, on the one hand, you know, you don't bear ultimate responsibility for that decision either. Uh, and so, you know, if, if you're not going to carry the ultimate weight of making the decision, then, then there's, there's a part of it that's just a maturity level of you just got to kind of, you just got to deal with it sometimes. Um, you know, if we're talking about an issue that's like a gospel issue or something like that, then that's a different story. And depending on your polity and how your elders are structured and all that. But when it's just a matter of disagreement, I think it was in a, a very old Matt Chandler sermon or an interview or something. Uh, he said, you know, I did this when I was an associate pastor in Florida, um, make a get like a notebook and make a list and divide it into two categories. One is philosophy of ministry. One is theological issues. And when you disagree with something, uh, write it in one of those categories. And you'll notice that almost all of them are in the philosophy category. And that's just not it's not your role. I mean, if, you, if they didn't hire you to be the senior pastor, they hired you to be the youth pastor. So it's just not it's just not your role. And I think it, it's really important to understand that. And now being, quote unquote, on the other side of that, there is it is just true that there's just things you're not going to understand until until you get asked to sit in that chair. Well, and. I was just because you know talking about how there are Sunday, Sunday Cool is a for profit company. Yeah. Lifeway is a for profit branch of the Southern Baptist Church. Both groups are in there primarily. That I, that's not fair. I shouldn't say primarily concerned with making money, but they would not exist if it were not for making money. So Lifeway made a decision to make the most of their customers happy, and it was a conversation that did not sit well with Sunday Cool, and so they made a, com- a decision to make most of their customer base happy, right. which is to play to the youth pastor, to play to the us against them. Mm-hmm. The difference is the same customers that caused Lifeway to cancel the publishing of further runs of the book are the ones that have the budget approval over the ones that Sunday Cool is now targeting with this ad. And so I, I wonder how many senior pastors, and I'm not one of them because, again, they are the best in the world at what they do, but how many... Southern Baptist senior pastors who love Lifeway and are loyal to Lifeway are now going to say, you know, Pastor Teddy, you are not ordering T-shirts from that company anymore until they do this, this, and this. No, it's a good conversation. I had one of my we're we're getting ready to launch the Lakeview Athletic Club here mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. Uh, full athletic ministry at the church, which and, is super dope. I'm very jealous. Yeah, we're getting field prep right now. I'm so excited. My son's doing the flag football portion. So, anyways, we're we're in the in the marketing phase and one of my guys who's overseeing it says, Hey, I've, I'm in process with Sunday cool to order all of our t-shirts. Do we still proceed forward knowing what's happening with him right now? Wow. And I said, yes, absolutely. We yeah. do. <laughs> they have the best t-shirts, but the fact that conversation happened because of this, but the fact that someone who is, you know, let's what, 47, 48 years old. How yep. old yeah. Mm-hmm. So someone who is rapidly approaching 50, their thought goes to, do I continue to shop with this company knowing that they responded that way? Yep. It affects bottom lines. Well, and the other thing about it is when you when you use parody names of people like Boomer and Karen, you're reducing a person to one area of disagreement. And like, so let's say the Karens, you know, that they may have been offended at this one thing and they may be faithful in 10 other things that they do. But they're and not going to so buy be- your shirts anymore. Yeah. And so because of that, now you're, you're you know, so that's where to me it's like, I just think it, it was just, I wish, it, you know, if we could hit rewind uh, and, and you know, 
we would have focus but it's tough you can't pigeonhole every boomer or karen because i have boomers on my elder board who loved it they yeah. said they love when people make fun of them so it's right. just like you know it's yeah. tough. but jeff i think you brought something up though that i think is is crucial for the maturity of every pastor who is like us who are transitioning into roles where they're primarily focusing on adults is it's really easy when you're working with just students to have that us versus them mentality and also right. just co constantly blanket people and say they just don't get it and therefore mm -hmm. it's easy to caricature them. They but, get but it enough you, to fund your youth budget and pay your Boom. But, right. but, exactly. But, yep. but what you and Andrew just pointed out as people who primarily have boomers as your congregation and then um, – you know, Karens are just basically like a, a woman that has lots of questions, I guess. But like um, a, a white I, woman who talks to the manager. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's With the short think, hair that goes from top to bottom and the back to the front. I, it's Kate Gosselin, but at 45. Yes. <laughs> what you just demonstrated is that like there's a level of maturity that happened when you guys became this role where it's like, A, you have to create more empathy for these people. But B, it's like it changes your perspective. Like I know – I know there was that part of me that happened at some point in youth ministry where it was – I realized that my ministry isn't primarily to my students, but it's to the students and their parents. And their parents – I mean, in this case, there were Gen Xers, I guess. But, like, there, there's also, like, boomers and, 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 and then my volunteer leaders. And I remember at some point in my student ministry thinking I didn't want older volunteers. I wanted younger volunteers because they were difficult, right? And at some point, we have to mature as our own – as ourselves to say like there are people creating the image of god who just happen to be born in a specific generation and have were raised in a certain set of values that make things a little differently than the way us millennials especially gen zers look at now what we're going to talk about in a second that carrie newoff brings up is, is something that we have to also address too is gen z every generation that we reach to are going to have unique things that we're going to have to address and it, there, there, there's always has been this tension of the previous generation kind of looking down on the next generation. And I think that if our generation, the millennials right here who are, who are listening to this or the Gen Xers who are kind of caught in this middle gauge between the boomers and the Gen Zers, we need to be able to be the bridge to say we will love the, the people from the previous generation, but we will actively like, the, like, like Jesus with the one of the sheep pursue the gen z as well right like like we need to be able to do that without de demeaning and demonizing both did did sunday cool demean boomers and and white women who ask questions sure that's a part of their satire um but i have to say as far as satire goes it's a lot better than babylon b and that's my political statement of the day boom um, i think the favorite thing <laughs> that came out of this for me was the shirt that they're now making saying love thy karen and i ordered that a good shirt one. Because it's, it's good, good. you know. Here's my tension with everything: is independently, I actually like all of these things. I mm, like yeah. Lifeway. I mm. like Sunday Cool, and I actually like um, Matt Welsh. Like I think Walsh. I think he's got some some good insights on things, and I think that's what I need to take to the table whenever I enter conflict with anything. It's like these things all do mean well. They're just not talking to each other. And they're, they're, talking, and they're all multifaceted. That goes back to that absolutely. zero sum game thing. And I think you have to choose which battles you need to pick. And, and when you when you keep locked in your mind, this person means well, and they've shown you time and time again. I don't necessarily fight those battles. Like a battle that I I did not fight on staff here is I preach for our senior pastor about once every four weeks. 
And um, when I preach, I'm a I'm a black shirt kind of guy and some dark jeans. And and he told me, he goes, man, it really just kind of bothers me that you don't wear some khakis and a button up. And like for me, I was I'm like not in that place because I am not that generation. And he goes, listen, I do know the culture of our church. I've been here 26 years. So could you just could you put your button shirt up, put it in your pants? And I was like, <laughs> I'll be honest, like that 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 stung me on like an identity level. First time someone not... told you to keep it in your pants. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, and that, that's something like, but it did. But you know what? Like whenever whenever I did that, I was like, I saw how that improved the relationship I had between me and him. And I'm like, why? That's not a battle worth fighting. And it's actually kind of funny now because when I do show up on the main campus on a Sunday tucked up, they're like, oh, we know who's preaching today. <laughs> it's, it's all, I've become a meme, which I think actually probably gave us a better win than me even like wearing what I wanted to wear. Well, with that joke that Tim made further solidifies why we won't get sponsored by Lifeway. And um, uh, and with that being said, just to make sure we're clear. Yeah, the shirts we have that we're going to give out in a few weeks after we've reached 500. Amazing. On, on our, that's an amazing shirt by Sunday Cool. And and we love Sunday Cool. We're big fans of them. Um, and I think uh, if this podcast shows anything, we could still love someone and, and be big fans and still say like, hey – we make mistakes sometimes or we do some things that we probably wouldn't agree with. But, hey, and, and Delmar loves Lifeway still. I mean, he goes to the one store that exists in Nashville, I think, or, they, or whatever. <laughs> they shut all of them down in South Carolina that I know of. Hey, let's transition to um, the, the main discussion. Uh, that was – I love that discussion, though, about Lifeway. It's something cool. Um, so there's this article that's been going around for a while uh, from Kerry Newoff. And uh, the, the, the article is entitled, The New Characteristics of Churches That Will Be in Decline Five Years From Now. What I want to do is I'm going to read the head, just the headers of the, of, the, uh, of the characteristics that he suggests. And I would love to know just kind of what your thoughts are because I was particularly – I don't know if I was particularly convicted by any of them, but I was thinking there are a lot of churches that fit in this category, which is, un- which is unfortunate. But I want to know what you thought, think – um, maybe what are the characteristics on this that maybe your church right now is struggling with and, and, and hear what we're thinking about. So here's the characteristics. One, the leaders bet everything on a physical return to church. Two, success is still measured by the number of people who attend physical locations. Three, online ministry is seen as an afterthought or lesser form. Four, all feedback comes from their echo chamber. Five, they quickly went back to three songs in the message as their service formats. Six, the church building, not the home or community, was reestablished as the sole locus of ministry. And finally, and the one I think is a good segue from the last conversation, is the leaders exclude Gen Z from the inner leadership circle. So those are the seven characteristics. I I think the one that most makes me – challenged by this because of my role transitioning into this campus pastor, but also kind of doing online ministry for our church is seeing online ministry as an afterthought is the one that's been particularly convicting because I think in 2020, we should be able to see that um, as uh, Oh, what's that church pro tool guy um, says um, Brady Shear says like social media is where you do ministry, not where you talk about ministry. And, I, and, and like, that's been particularly convicting where I, where if there is a clear lag in the church world besides Christian music, it's this, right? Like there's a, there's a huge lag in keeping up to pace and the fact that, that we are not able to leverage our technology in a way 
that that is can actually do some meaningful stuff and online like streaming our services i don't know about you but my church as as hip and cool and big as it is just got online for streaming our services when covid first started and that's crazy um and i know that's true for a lot of churches so what are your thoughts on that list i think for us the the toughest thing right now is number two um you know i just i struggle to know how to figure out the metrics and who's online and how to even think about it. So, um, that, that's a big one. I, I mean, number one, um, is, is tough too. I mean, it's just like, it's almost, you know, that metaphor of fish not being able to, you know, sense that they're in water. Like you don't even, it's just the air I breathe is we go to church in a building, you know, it's like, that's just, and I don't think that's wrong. I mean, I think incarnation and all that stuff, but how predisposed am I to make those arguments? Because that's the world I've come from. Uh, is, is kind of a question I'm wrestling with, but yeah, just the practical side of how to measure engagement online is a tough one. Well, I think that goes back to the philosophy of ministry versus theology that you were talking about before. Do we say that we need to gather corporately to worship because that's just what we do in this ministry, or is there something theologically relevant and and necessary for us to gather in person? And I think the answer to both of those questions is, is yes. Like, there is something unique that happens when God's people gather together, but also as a professional communicator, it's a whole lot easier for me to talk to a room of a hundred people than it is to talk to a room of 35 people with a camera propped up in the back. Mm. And so it's, it's a difficult thing. And then it's, well, are you staying home? Are you not coming and physically joining us because, you know, for, for health and safety reasons, you think you need to be at home or, do you like to have brunch and watch on your laptop while you're sipping your coffee? Yeah, no, this is a, it's a good conversation to have. We had uh, this exact article. I shared it with my elder board and we, we actually went through some of this because for a while we, we were, we were number one, we were betting on a physical return to church. So all of May, all of August was like, all right, let's, let's gear up. Let's get the campus back in shape. Uh, August is coming, school's coming back. As soon as school's back, we know everyone's going to be back. It's kind of how we approached kids ministry as well. And so we've had this conversation as a staff. And then it was just recently, a couple of weeks ago at our last elder meeting where we said, look, this is, this is a different way to do ministry now. And moving forward, we have to realize that and understand that. So that's how we're trying to tackle and approach uh, moving forward. What does ministry look like in a COVID world and in a post-COVID world where people may never return to church like they once have? So I know Andrew and some other area pastors, like Tim, you're, you're like pouring money and a lot of time and effort into into getting your online platform better. And I'm like, yeah, we are. My elders know we are. It has been very vocal that, yes, we do care because we we don't want to isolate someone because they chose to stay at home versus coming to a building. And that was kind of some of the tension we were expressing, people feeling like, wow, you really cared about those people who came back to church, but those of us who stayed home, we're the, you got, we got a camera in the back of the room. Like that, that's kind of, they just felt like they were in the back. So I feel personally attacked. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel... To me, there's there's going to be increasingly a need to balance um, grace and truth in this entire conversation because um, there are people here I know is at risk. One of the girls who works for me, her children, they've told her, if your kids get COVID, they're going to die. Like just they're already terminal and the doctors have already said they probably won't make it till 18. So like, yeah, I, I that is an amount of grace. But at the same time, I, I'm a, one of my fears is that we've created this online space. 
And that may accidentally create an excuse to not have difficult conversations about people who are not coming to church. And, and I don't know when, and I don't know how, but I know that James four seventeen says, you know, the person, when you know what is right to do and you don't do it, that is sin. And like, I do think that there are going to be people who don't return and it has nothing to do with COVID and it has nothing. It has everything to do with, I figured out how to put church for the first time ever in my own little box instead of me going and submitting to something else. Like doing church discipline will be so much more difficult when the people are not meeting with you. Um, like you said, so, so it is a give and take because, and as a church, we are fully online and we have an online minister and everything. Like I, I get that. And that needs to exist because often online, what we're learning at our church is online is actually a place where a lot of non-believers are going to, I hate mm-hmm. to use this word, but scope out a church. Like yeah, they will right, drop yeah. in. Like it's, it's what the brochure used to be. I think you I've know? been that way for a while. It's just, it's the lobby recently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then, but the double-edged sword is now online is a really easy way for our congregants to go find other churches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I do think it's, it's a lot of grace and a lot of truth. And I think the only way to discern which one to lead into is like, we have to be like stuck in scripture on that and trying to like completely right. pull in our emotions out of it. Cause I think we talked about it one or two podcasts. We're going to lose people over this, mm-hmm. you know, well, but, but my, my scripture says that the fields are wide unto harvest. So like, even if we're not going to have the same X amount of people back who are old, there's still people out there who we need to go reach. The conversation well, we had on the way to lunch was about, you know, a specific individual at one of our churches and it was, oh, have they not been around for the past several months because of COVID or are they not going to church or are they going somewhere else? And one thing that's so hard is it's hard to check in on people right now yeah, because yeah. you can't be like, hey, are you are you watching, you know, did, did you hear what we said last Sunday or are you actively using this time as a refresh and a restart to maybe start looking somewhere else? And how do you have that awkward conversation that eight months ago, if somebody wasn't there three weeks, you'd be like, Oh man, what's going on with them? And now we're just like assuming, Oh yeah, that person's probably just being more cautious. And then you find out, well, yeah, they've been being more cautious at the live stream up the street. Right. Uh Oh, yeah. Right. I, I texted one of my one of my guys and hey, we, we have a great relationship and his kids and my kids are friends. And, and I just he, they hadn't been back yet. And I said, hey, are you guys what's what's what are your thoughts on, on coming back to, to church physically? You know, my and I just kind of jokingly said my son is kind of wondering when he'll stop being the only kid at kids ministry. And it was just, you know, very jokingly. And I, I know him and we joke back and forth like this all the time. But his response was, um, we have no plans. And that was it. And then the conversation just stopped. And I was like, wow, I need I need to be so careful with how I am checking in on people and where they're at. So that was just a really big wake up call for me. Cause that was not that was not a boomer or a Karen, right? No. That was it, it was it yeah. something that you're gonna we're in such weird positions as, you know, all of us relatively recently transitioning into adult ministry sure. is friendships with the senior pastor are not the same as friendships with the youth pastor or so friendship. And so, so true. And so what used to be, you could ask that same person, that same question. It's a, <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, we've been camping and it's so nice to be able to watch on the phone while we're camping. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll tell you that when you're the youth pastor, they're not going to tell you that as the senior pastor mm-hmm. in, yep. because it doesn't come across the same way when the senior pastor asks. But we definitely have people who genuinely are trying 
Oh, like absolutely. I had a lady yeah. call me today. She talks for me 30 minutes. She says, I just need to talk to you, Pastor. And the only reason I'm calling is to let you know church matters to me. Mm. We have an mm. 830 service. She goes, every Sunday, it does not matter what we're doing. We are in our living room. We are fully dressed. She goes, I sing with you guys. We close our eyes for the Like it is church for us. And she's like, we want to come back, but just with some things going on in their personal life, I totally get why they can't. But like, I, that's why I'm like, man, we don't, what you just said, I don't want to just throw it in jest as, oh, when are you going to come back? Because there's some people who are genuinely doing this as church. And and the whole thing is like, I felt that. And like, I felt her burden. And then, but then at towards the end of the call, this is how I began to feel. I wish I would have known this. You know yep, what I'm saying? Yep. Exactly. And, and like I've been I'm trying to call people. I'm trying to get in the world, but when we don't have that space where we meet once a week, it makes it that much harder for me to know that. And I want to know. I don't want to fail at that part of my job. You know, but I didn't know because we haven't been in proximity. So I'm glad that people are taking it seriously, but there's something about us being together that it is a real thing. Yeah, I agree. I called a member of our, our not a, not a member. He's just been attending he and his wife and I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. And I wasn't sure if it was something I did or said because they were attending physically and then they weren't. And so he called me on Saturday and I was busy. And my first thought was, oh, he's calling me to let me know he's moving on. It just wasn't a right fit. And I called him back today and he was like, man, I just want to let you know what you guys are doing is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm still contributing. Uh, but my wife and I got COVID. That's why we haven't been there. And I was like, oh. dude, why didn't you tell me? He's like, we didn't want exactly. to tell anybody. I'm like, I get it. I know, and then you're like, I, I get it. such a jerk for assuming yep. bad things. Right. Yep, exactly. And so we had yeah. a great conversation. He's feeling much better now. But it was just one of those like, wow, so eye-opening. But Dell, I'm with you. We don't know if they don't tell us. It's yeah. just a very difficult spot for well, us. Well, right sm- and let's assume that everyone's in a small group and all that stuff. Right. But if small groups aren't meeting or yeah. or you know, if we, we rely on information that comes from people gathering together. And if people aren't gathering together, we don't get it. I've got a question on this list that, or maybe it's a, it's a number that I would add. And so it's a question for, for Dell and Frank. What do you think this is going to do to the satellite campus? You know, I've, I've heard, seen a few articles that say, you know, multi-site churches, just why, why launch another multi-site when we are, you know, we're all in for this online option. Mm-hmm. And instead of, spending X amount of dollars to launch a campus. We're going to launch 300 campuses at 300 different homes across okay, the state. Yeah. What, so, Awkward. So what do, but I'm saying for, but for you two as, <laughs> for you two as campus pastors, which neither of you have ever actually explained to us what a yeah. campus pastor actually does. Yeah, so what are you going <laughs> to do? Yeah. But, but so, but so how do you, how do you say, no, no, this coming here to this other location to watch a video of what's happening, you know, eight, 10 miles away is different than you sitting on the couch watching the video from home. I mean, I think like uh, the biggest denominator that we've all just agreed on is a sense of community. And I think in our, in our, in our, in our church, the way we see multi-site multi-site ministry is the, the sermon on Sunday morning is from one person to all the campuses. So that way we can truly be one church in multiple locations but like the act, the the um, the act of gathering together for worship, and the act of of uh, receiving communion together, and the act of of um, of even just gathering and being around other believers, and and having opportunities for your children to interact with other children in the children's ministry, like all that stuff. Um, I'll say this: if there is a way to do that at home, 
then that is the kind of creative kind of um, innovation that we need to all figure out because I think that's the biggest deficit with COVID is if, if I'm going to stand with John MacArthur on anything in this, in this podcast, it's that our people do desire to meet together. And I think there is that desire. And I think that is where the future of campus pastors is like, we, we want to have a facility a, a place where me as a pastor can interact with our people even though they're hearing a stream, yeah, they could do the same thing online, but there's, there's nothing that can replace the gathering of the saints. Um, but I, I, I mean, to your credit, you make a good point. Like I've asked that question to myself since, since I, since March, when I said, why did I make this poor choice of becoming a campus pastor? I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. And like and all this stuff. But the reality is, is like, I think like even one of the, one of the things on Karen Newoff's list is, um, they quickly went back to three songs in the message as their okay, sermon formats. I wanted, yeah, I want to talk about that too because that went—that was a personal attack on me. I don't necessarily feel like there's anything wrong with going back to three songs in the message. Right. I think that's like a weird. I think if the, I mean maybe I, there's more nuance in the actual article, but like, like if he's saying like we need to be able to innovate and evolve, then like sure maybe I can get down with that. But like in in the scope of history, this isn't the first time we as humanity has dealt with a plague right and so there was a sense where like the plague and the pestilence and the disease went away and we were able to kind of go back to a new normal and so i'm i feel like there's a place where like we're going to go back to a place where there's going to be a post-covid world and things will have evolved and changed hopefully to the better where we have better technology things like that but i think like to say there's now not a place for multi-site ministry. There's not a place for a campus pastor. I think that's a bit of um, the sky is falling mentality of what the new world, the new normal is going to be. But I do think that like um, there's a place for that. To answer your other question, Andrew, maybe there's a day where we bring someone in who's like a multi-site genius to explain to everyone what campus pastors do, because I would like to know what I'm supposed to do. Because <laughs> this is all work to me too. <laughs> hey, Delmar, what do you think? Yeah, piggyback off that. First of all, the title of this article is The New Characteristics of Churches That Will Be in Decline Five Years From Now. Last time I checked, Kerry Newhoff did not have a DeLorean, and he definitely wasn't reaching <laughs> 85. So he does not know. And okay? he's not Tim LaHaye or Jerry Jenkins. Yeah, exactly. like they he, he, know he, he doesn't. <laughs> there are no blood moons in our future, okay? But I, I do think, like, it's sometimes every time we, we hit these articles where people are telling us this is who we need to be to be the best church in post-COVID, they don't know. Like that now, now what they do have are extremely educated guesses that we should respect because there's wisdom in, in what they've learned. But I think to your point about not all these may not be the same, but to, to Frank, what he was saying about the sermon, yeah, it is piped in. And, and I think for the campus pastor, that is our job to shepherd our people about what watching the sermon on a video is. And I describe it to them as for us, it's a wedding band, you know, like when I'm out in public, I have a wedding band on my hand. Everybody knows I'm connected to a woman who is an amazing wife, right? Like for us at our church, that sermon is the wedding band. It reminds us that we are connected to something bigger and that we are in a covenant relationship as a family. Um, so that's kind of, and I, that, and, and that does fall on us as the shepherds of these congregations. Um, and, and also as far as meeting to piggyback off Frank as well. Um, one of the things I think we've been selling and I, 
I don't want to say we're overselling because then I'm going to sound like a heretic. But we have been selling the whole church is not a place, it's a Careful, people. Careful, you're going to get canceled by Lifeway. I'm, I'm about <laughs> to get canceled. That's the whole thing. Church <laughs> is not a place, it's a people. But can I just be honest with you? Um, people need shelter to live in. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, a, a per, like I'm not sleeping outside under the stars. And I think it's good to have a place where people can congregate. You know, that does provide a place of safety for them. That does provide a place where people can have belonging. Um, a physical place, I actually do think, has weight in it. I know that I feel like it's really cool to undersell that right now. Um, because, oh, we're going to have, we're one church in thousands of locations. Eh, well, sure. But. Okay. And then uh, as far as the, the future of campuses, uh, I feel your tension, Frank, because right now, starting in October, we are starting a capital campaign at our church in COVID. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's called our finest hour. Um, and well, just kind of like you right now, you are retrofitting an entire building like that can't stop. Your saints, your people there deserve that. You know, we had two million dollars of land donated to us. And right now we're having to meet in in a skating rink with hopes of getting back into a school where we need to move forward with this build. Like these people have been faithful. Um, so what we're doing is we're actually letting that our campus be a little bit of the momentum for our whole church. Because what our pastor's saying is, look at this. Yeah, it's COVID. But we're not stopping because of that, because God's work doesn't stop. And he's actually using this to like rally our entire church around a cause. And that cause is like, we're going to get this Pacala campus into, into a home. So right now, my big North star as campus pastor, because there is no like job description right now in that regard is I'm just going to be obedient. I know the mission of my church. And as long as what I'm doing falls into that mission, I'm alignment with my church. And if what I'm ever doing is not in alignment with the mission and vision values of my church, then I need to go. You know, now right now I am here. I am on mission. I, I drink it. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step toward Jesus. Like I get all that and everything we do is in that vein. Um, so for me, that is my, my go juice right now is like my purpose is not hanging on the numbers. It's hanging on, am I being obedient to that call? And, uh, and then I'm going to trust him with the results. So that's kind of answering everything we just talked about in a Go nutshell. juice. I like that. Go juice. Mission Guys, is go juice. That's the Gen it, Z version of mission statement. In case you're wondering, it's go <laughs> juice. If you want to read more, if you want to read this article by Kerry Newoff, um, the article, the link will be in the uh, description of the podcast as well as our website. It's something worth reading. Maybe like like kind of like what um, what Tim did is maybe share it with some of your leadership at your church and have a discussion to see where you guys are and where you guys are going. But like like Andrew said, like this isn't Tim LaHaye. Like they don't really know everything. But your church only- will die if you're only doing three songs in a sermon. So Lakeview will <laughs> oh, not be around much. That longer. is actually true. That is why we do. <laughs> four songs <laughs> exactly special we include, song we also include prayer but i mean you do <laughs> welcome yeah. really edgy churches are doing communion right now <laughs> super yeah. edgy. Wait, wait, hey listen wait. i think we should take a note from the nba and have giant panels of zoom callers into our church services Agreed. i'm not even kidding either like hey, if that I, do think, I do think the nba has done a great job being innovative more so than any of the like, other leagues how they innovated yeah, like they, they did, did a great job with that best. and i think I do think there's something to like, wow, look how they're engaging fans. Right. 
I mean, imagine, you, you know, for, for a 20% tithe, you can have your face in the service on the Zoom board. <laughs> hey, <laughs> no, stop. Tim, Tim started doing no. that. Yeah, we, we, have a, we have a countdown video that we've been showing. The same thing since March, which I probably just need to suck it up and make a different one. If only I knew someone that made good countdown videos. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I've heard they exist. But uh, What you need? But, but, so so here's what we need, though. We, we've had just like a photo slideshow. Back when we thought that this was going to be like a three-week online service thing, we had For real. this photo slideshow of here's our church being together, and it's wonderful. Right. Um, Tim started to incorporate like Bible trivia games yeah, in so, his countdown. So every, every week is a different Bible trivia now, and I've never had anyone comment on the countdown until now. Now and I so have now at least five or ten people of comments. every week in person and online. So they're like, I'm really bad at Bible trivia. And it's really, really funny. It's a great conversation all because of Bible trivia. Videos? Countdown. I've seen a few churches do like testimonies from people during the countdown yeah, too, like a little short. That's it's a cool idea, but that's Tim, that's, that's such a, a that's such that's a, a youth pastor and you coming out. Yeah, though, man. I, I really love that though. I love it. It really is. But the boomers All right, are guys. Hey, we we have had. I mean, this is probably gonna be maybe one of our longest episodes, but we've talked about everything from uh, John MacArthur and the politics, and we talked about premarital counseling do's and don'ts. We talked about Sunday Cool and Lifeway. Talked about the the Carrie Newoff article. Somehow we did not bring up Jerry Falwell once, and I'm impressed by this. Uh, this is incredible. But let's close with this quick one. Um, everyone go around and share the answer to this. Somebody asked a question. Um, what do you collect? What is one thing that you collect um, in your home or or whatever? What is like if you collect anything? What is it? So, uh, who wants to go first? Converts. Oh. <laughs> Just, I'm just kidding. No, right. uh, I actually uh, I don't really I don't consider myself a collector. Like I don't think I collect anything, but I do enjoy uh, a lot of coffee accoutrements, different ways to make coffee. So that's about the only thing I really think I collect, like as sets. We do Disney pins. We're 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 Disney pin traders. It's a big deal in my house. Everyone has their lanyard when they go to the parks, and they've got to trade with every cast member. Which the new way to trade pins is. Very weird, weird but it, so weird. It, it still works. So we, we frequent eBay whenever there's a $30, here's 200 pins, we will probably buy that. Does anybody get to the point where they need like a sash, like the scouts? Oh, yeah. Like the girls have so scout. many pins. Uh, they, yeah. Like up? Like, we have a pin board and you can only take no, I know so it's a many thing. to the parks. So you can only take so yeah. many to the park. That way you never overload your lanyard. I see. I collect uh, Harley Davidson poker chips. So, like, yeah, literally, I thought you, were gonna say you just broke Davison's two man. Southern Baptist rules yeah, in just did. one <laughs> sentence right there. <laughs> Obviously, you don't every, play with them. You just collect. I mean, you no, just collect. every <laughs> single Harley dealership that exists has their own unique poker chip. So whenever I go on vacations or if somebody I've had people go um, who are military, they bring me them back from like Japan and stuff. They're just poker chips and I put them in boards. They, and uh, and I collect uh, TMNT comic books, all of them. For the uninitiated Teenage Mutant yes. Ninja Turtles. Oh, sorry. Yes. That mask was good, though, in your stories the other day. I like that. Yeah. Andrew, what do you got? Um, I don't know if you can see this on video, but it's a uh, tie clip that looks just like my glasses. I decided that uh, as someone whose giant blue glasses are the uh, predominant feature of his face, <laughs> to just embrace glasses. So I have coffee mugs with glasses. I have socks with glasses. Lots and lots of things wearing glasses. glasses no like, I, not actual glasses i collect hmm. things yeah. you know 
Things with glasses. I've got a things with glasses. This somewhere over here, there's like a picture of a glasses collectibles. I have a dog wearing glasses. I have a picture of Mickey Mouse wearing hipster glasses. You, you never wear contacts. Never. I didn't get glasses until I was like a sophomore, junior in college. I was twenty, I think, when I found out that I needed glasses, and so I, I do okay without them. I'm nearsighted in one eye, farsighted in the other. So hey, I like your glasses, Whoa. Jeff. And so I uh, Jeff is like Tony Stark. Yeah, these are just blue. These are just blue light blocking. I have perfect vision. But so I. <laughs> oh. uh, what a flex! I, I also. Or I, I have My a body uh, works. I have a three thirty appointment tomorrow at Warby Parker. And Ooh. I'm very excited. I've got about 30 different pairs of blue glasses to try on because wow. they will be blue. Are they still in the buy one, get give oh, one yeah. thing? Oh, yes. Guys, my my the thing I collect, I've been trying to get into this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at collecting things. That's not thing, something I've ever did as a kid. And so – but I've I I've really loved the Marvel – cinematic universe and i love mm. all things marvel and it's kind of expensive i've been trying to collect um the um funko pop heads mm-hmm. of the marvel characters and i want to kind of recreate that like famous iconic marvel poster with all the characters but with the funko pop heads but like certain characters are really hard to get um oh, yeah. so there's a place so, over here that sells them there's a huge wall yeah I'll i have about i have about 20 right now which is way more than i thought i would at this point but um We'll see what happens. We'll see if I keep going. Guys, this has been amazing. Great conversation. Um, I feel like I've learned more about each of you uh, in, in, in a more intimate way. I feel glad to be Hey-o. here. Hey, <laughs> uh, if you are listening to this show, thank you so much. We want to encourage you to subscribe uh, wherever you're listening to this. If you can, give us a review um, on iTunes. Uh, and we, like I said, we're trying to give away these amazing Sunday Cool t-shirts. We just, over and over, as much as Andrew and Jeff give a little bit of criticism, they still say it's the best shirt you can get. And so uh, we're going to get, we're going to try to get, get these shirts out. Um, but we want to get to those metrics. We're almost there. We got a lot of new followers, both on Instagram um, and in our Facebook groups. So join that. We actually have a Facebook page now, but that's more so just to have it more accessible to people. Um, make sure you follow us on YouTube. Uh, Delmar is making the, the, this podcast look beautiful on YouTube, as well as chopping up the clips to make it awesome. Um, as well as exclusive stuff, right? Yeah, there's exclusive yes. stuff that like we don't talk about on the show. So yep. um, you don't can talk go there about and, it. and find that. Um, so anyways, do all that kind of stuff. Like I said, any, any articles or links or tools that we mentioned, make sure you look for that in the show notes. But with that being said, I am Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And we are Practically Pastor. See you next time.